Hey everyone, a quick note before we start today's episode, I want to point you to our brand new website at guiltgracepod.com for all things guilt, grace, gratitude, all of our podcasts, their categories by type, by episode, by season, by author, by topics, by all those good things. So everything guilt, grace, gratitude podcast you can find at guiltgracepod.com. Dot com, as well as our brand new confessional podcast network, which will be housed at confessionalpods.com. We have our inaugural sets of podcasts who have joined us, and we have more who are coming on board pretty soon. And you can also find the confessional podcast network on anywhere good podcasts are found. If you guys can help us in any way financially, go to guiltgracepod.com to give and donate. We have a lot of big plans for 2023 and beyond. and We would love for you to partner and support and build this bridge to confessional reform theology with us. Now, let's get on to this episode. You Christians have lost the correct Bible. This doesn't make sense. Even the Quran, Muslim scriptures, completely affirms the authenticity of the Bible. Mm -hmm. So I lay down ways to describe that the Bible cannot be corrupt and use scriptural reasoning and using also logical questions. Mm -hmm. So the Bible cannot be corrupt. And if Muslims insist that the Bible is corrupt, they are claiming that Allah is lying hmm. in the Quran. Welcome to the Guilt, Grace, Gratitude podcast featuring Peter Bell and Nick Fulweiler. This is a show about Christian doctrine for everyone from the historic Reformed tradition delivered by two friends in an unscripted dialogue. Join us as we discuss how the finished work of Jesus Christ changes everything. Hello, everyone. Yet once again, it's another day of fresh grace and mercy. This is the Guilt, Grace, Gratitude podcast sponsored by Lagos Bible Software, where we bridge the gap to Reformed Christian theology for your listening pleasure. Today, we have a repeat guest back on our show, our brother, Dr. Ibrahim, and he's going to be helping us on this apologetics episode, Christian Response to Islam. And uh, we're going to jump into this episode here in a moment. You're going to learn a little bit more about Dr. Ibrahim and his expertise on this. And uh, he's written uh, about at least three books that we know of that we've uh, talked about on our show. Most recently, uh, there's a book called Reaching Your Muslim Neighbor with the Gospel, by Dr. Ibrahim, and it's uh, published by Crossway. We'll put that link on our show notes. Uh, I just recently read the book. Peter just recently read the book. It's a, fantastic. It's a masterpiece. It's great Christian apologetics responding to your Muslim neighbors. And then um, he has a, a few concise guidebooks on uh, Muslims and Muhammad and Islam. So check those out as well. We'll put those links on our show notes as well. So the, and then there's some other links to our show notes and resources is, of course, finding a reformed confessional church near your area. Uh, we want to make sure this podcast is helping drive you guys to a church and uh, to call home. So click that link, type in the zip code and uh, find the closest reformed or confessional church near your area so you can hear the gospel on a weekly basis. And as well as just basic resources of how to contact 
myself, Nick, or Peter, um, or both of us at the same time. Uh, we're on social media. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram. We're on YouTube. So this conversation, as you hear mm-hmm. it, you can also watch it on YouTube and uh, as long as well as our other uh, recordings. And then you can email it us at guiltgracepod at gmail.com. And so I will let Peter further introduce our repeat guest, our brother, Dr. Ibrahim. Yeah, uh, repeat guest, Dr. A.S. Ibrahim, as he's known in this book, or Eamon Ibrahim, a professor of Islamic studies and the director of the Jenkins Center for the Christian Understanding of Islam at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. Is the author of Conversion to Islam and Basics of Arabic, and I think a few other um, slightly more academic books, but these are a little bit more lay level um, for kind of your average everyday Christian. But it's a pleasure having you back on the show, Dr. Ibrahim. Thank you so much for both of you, Nick and Peter. Yeah, it's uh, it's really cool having you on and, and all the work you've been doing this. And you keep on coming out with books every single year, so we keep on having you back on the show. I have no idea why I'm doing how how all these books are coming out, but it's surely a wonderful <laughs> thing. It is, yeah, it's fantastic. So it's maybe to uh, to introduce yourself for those who haven't heard you on our show yet. We've had you on twice before, um, but let our listeners know maybe a little about yourself, your background, and what you do. I was born and raised in Egypt. Uh, I was born in a Coptic Orthodox family, and. Um, like many uh, uh, Christians in Egypt, I grew up surrounded by many of my Muslim neighbors and friends. And uh, when I was nine and a half, um, I was introduced to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I began to uh, attend regularly the evangelical church in Egypt. Then I got my engineering degree, then I began preaching, and uh, when I wanted to learn more how to be um, um, an educated preacher, I came to the United States to study theology, and how this developed later to be a teacher in um, seminaries. But overall, I would uh, I would just say that uh, by God's grace, I was born in Egypt, uh, and uh, due to my encounters with Muslims, that gave me firsthand exposure to what Muslims believe, what they think, and what they uh, practice. And uh, that's the core of our conversation today. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. And so maybe to, to dive into this a little bit deeper. So you didn't grow up Muslim. Um, so you grew up, um, and I'm not sure if you grew up in a Christian family or not. Um, yeah, but what, I... What a- I- what about your background like kind of sets up this book and your interests in reaching Muslims? Yeah, many people when they hear that someone grew up in the Middle East, they wrongly assume that the Middle East is all Muslims. That's wrong. Yeah. Uh, uh, especially the Arab world consists of like 22, maybe more, 23 uh, countries and in these countries, there are at least the seven that recognize Christianity as a religion in the land. And uh, Egypt is one of them. Think of Syria, Iraq, um, and Sudan. All these countries recognize Christianity. Some countries in the Arab world, like Morocco, they don't recognize Christianity as a religion in the land, although we all know that there are Christians, but they are called underground church. 
So growing up in Egypt, I was born in a, a, a Christian family, Coptic Orthodox, but the, the, the Christian title here is more like a cultural identity. They go to church, but there is no sort of conversion to Christ, devotion to following Christ precisely as, as explicitly mentioned in the Bible. So it's more like a cultural uh, Christianity. Later on, when the conversion occurs, that's a believing Christian. That's what we uh, often say in Egypt. Hmm. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, that's. Yeah, so I think people, like you said, wrongly assume that you're, you grew up Muslim, um, but in a Christian family, and then they're probably wondering too. I was like, well, why is he talking about Muslims? It's because, like you said, you grew up around Muslims, and you talk about Ooh. this in, the, in your book too. Until now, like I. I don't need to begin a friendship with a Muslim. I already have tons of Muslim friends mm -hmm. and I am still in touch with many in my homeland. And here where I live in the United States, I have many Muslim friends. Some of them are pretty religious in their mm -hmm. adherence to their faith. And some are pretty much Muslim because they are born in a Muslim mm. family and usually they say, well, to be honest with you, I'm like, I'm kind of atheist. I don't care about that. So <laughs> yeah. that's that's okay. how, yeah, so yeah. Gotcha. Which is why this book is called Reaching Your Muslim Neighbor because you literally had Muslim neighbors growing up um, and still to this day, many people have Muslim neighbors, which I love and it's titled Reaching Muslim Neighbor, not like, hey, you have to go to the Middle East to go reach Muslims. They're they're all around you. Absolutely. Absolutely. And they are so wonderful people to get in touch with. And they are really uh, hospitable. And they, mm -hmm. and they love talking about religion. You don't need to begin talking about, hey, it's kind of cool. The weather is great today. <laughs> you know what? Oh, have you seen this soccer game? Have you seen this... Uh, Football. No, 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 no. You can always, Muslims are always ready to talk about religion. Hmm. Unlike many Westerners of our friends here, Muslims are always ready to talk about religion. And the more sincere you are in talking about religion and asking good questions, the more results uh, you will find out of these uh, encounters. Yeah, yeah, we'll 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 dive into that topic because I think a lot of Americans are thinking like you can talk about religion on the front end. So we'll we'll talk about some of these questions um, for long and this because I think it's it's a really interesting point to talk about with with a lot of our audience. Yeah, and then my first question to jump in is is what are some basic facts about Muslim beliefs and worldviews concerning their Islamic faith and their you know just religious texts, the founder, just kind of start from the basics. For Muslims, uh, uh, there are two big foundations. One is Allah, Allah's word, and the second is Allah's prophet. Mm -hmm. So Allah's word is the Quran. We that's the scripture of Islam. It's the the their sacred text, which they consider to be the speech of Allah. That's one. Allah's speech, Allah's text, Allah's book. The second is Allah's messenger or prophet. And Muslims believe that Muhammad is the final message, messenger 
the final prophet that was sent by the deity. And these two are the foundations of Islam. There is a lot of other concepts and teachings and all, but you cannot avoid these two foundations. So these are two important foundations for Muslims. Now, Muslims are followers of Islam. That's the religious system. And Muslims are completely uh, not monolithic. So you find, as I mentioned a couple of minutes earlier, Muslims that are really, really wanting to live according to the Quran. So they go to the mosque, they practice, and they are followers of the religion. But there are also some others who are completely um, uh, not so interested in that. And they are Muslim because basically they were born in a Muslim family. I always say that you have cultural Muslims, you have religious Muslims, and you have radical Muslims, of course. But also uh, within the religious Muslims, the, the middle group, you have progressives, very much progressive. So I saw some Muslims who are in events, they go and they begin drinking and they say, hey, we're still Muslim. What is that? So this is completely the way they live their progressiveness, but they still claim they are Muslim. Is this what Islam teaches? Uh, apparently not. Hmm. So, uh, yeah, I hope that answers the question a little bit. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, and to to dig into what you had said earlier, because I think that's it strikes a lot of Americans, maybe Westerners, as a little odd that religion can be such an like an earlier conversation, because um, the two like big quote unquote sins that you can bring up at the Thanksgiving table are religion and politics. Yeah, but it seems like with Muslims, that's these it's not are like the a taboo hot topics. Topic. Yeah, so these, like maybe both. Yeah, maybe like kind of a like unpack like what 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 is why why is that not such a taboo thing to talk about why like why like why is it proper and um and like a friendly thing to bring up on the front end uh, you don't need to bring religion or politics because they are acceptable among muslims but i am telling my audience here that muslims are always ready to give opinions about their faith, they are really proud of Islam. Most of them, even those who are cultural Muslims, they would uh, uh, often pretend like, oh, I am a devoted guy. No, 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 no. Islam is the best religion ever. And you Christians don't know what you're talking about. So it's just like more like uh, um, um, slogans and big headlines and, you know, but once you dig deeper and ask real questions, most Muslims around me would say, uh, I really don't know, I'm not a religious person, so probably you need to ask a different one. So, but, but in general, because Islam for them is uh, their community, their cultural identity. Hmm. So they are so proud of being Muslim. They are so proud of presenting themselves as followers of Islam. So you don't really have a problem if you bring the religion as you find with some Western. Now, if you bring politics also, Muslims are always ready to talk about politics and give you 
strong opinionated disposition, you know? Mm -hmm. So this is actually a great thing because you can be free without being so concerned with Muslims talk about these topics. And if you don't begin talking about religion in two minutes, they hmm. will talk about it. Hmm. Interesting. Is, maybe to diet, like to, to get into that, what is there, because you talk about the Muslim worldview, you talk about kind of the lens they see the world through. Is there something not like different, but um, is it, is it just like, is it part of the mindset that, because it, it seems so foreign to the Western mindset. Um, yeah. This is something you bring up on the front end. Uh, I speak about this in my analysis of the Islam, Islam uh, the Islamic worldview and the Muslim mindset. I didn't distinguish these two. It's very important chapter in my book mm -hmm. on reaching out uh, to my Muslim neighbor. But let me say this. Uh, uh, Muslims believe that Muhammad, their prophet, was both a prophet and a statesman. Hmm. So he was both a religious guide and a political figure. That's clear in Islamic texts. So for Muslims, the religious sphere and the political sphere are one. So mm -hmm. not like some Christians and, and many, many in the West that distinguish religion, the church from the state, we, we usually call this mm -hmm. in, in Western societies. Muslims don't. That's why, for example, when they think of America, they say, oh, America is a Christian nation. Mm -hmm. No, nah, yeah, no, it's not <laughs> that way. Especially because when they think that America is Christian, what usually comes to their mind is that America is Hollywood. Mm -hmm. So Hollywood is Christianity. And they see mm -hmm. all these uh, artists and all these uh, dancers and some of them wearing crosses only, I think, on their bodies. So that's Christianity? Of mm -hmm. course not. No. But for the mindset... For the, the mindset of a Muslim, because they don't really distinguish religion from the state, mm. they always equate Christianity with Hollywood with America. That's why when America leads a coalition to do some hitting on Iraq, many Muslims would see, this is America fighting Islam. What? No. Oh, there is hmm. nothing here about this. But that's how many Muslims perceive that. Hmm. I hope that helps. So the separation between hmm. religion and state is very important. And for Muslims, they are together. That's why in any conversation, Muslims would just ah. feel like it's normal to talk about politics and religion. You know? That's really helpful. I think yeah, that's going to help. That's uh, help me reading the book. And I think it's going to help a lot of Christians understand why yeah it's so it's so easy and free to talk about it because it has been so like it, it is so um so molded within the system it's just it's part of it's part of who they are um that's really really helpful yeah and it's really unfortunate that we people would tie in hollywood and christianity hollywood does not represent christianity no, but it's like our it's like our number yes. one export though from yeah. the u.s like what do they but hear me? the most about 
Yeah. yeah, but guys, this is important for us to recognize in our conversation exactly. with our Muslim neighbor. That's why, for example, mm. I encourage my American friends, like men and women, you need to be clear about your identity in Christ. Mm. As a man, I don't mess around. What mm -hmm. is that? Mm. I don't follow this Hollywood thing. That's not Christianity. As a woman, I don't live with a boyfriend outside marriage. That's not I am a Christ follower. Mm -hmm. That's why I always emphasize to my friends here in America, mm. present Christ and speak about your identity as a follower of, of Christ. Because Christianity, as biblical Christianity, doesn't teach what you see in Hollywood. That's important for us okay. to recognize. Gotcha. That's helpful. So for this episode with you know being a Christian, uh, response in apologetics to our uh, Muslim friends and um, and just you know having practical conversations with them. I think I want to go back to what you were mentioning earlier: uh, the different types in general of Muslims. So you got the nominal slash cultural. Then you they're 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 born into a Muslim family. Then you got the right. devout practicing religious ones, the ones that are right. actively going to the mosque and, and they know the Quran and they practice it. And then you got the extreme radical ones. Uh, they're the most, uh, the, the, probably the ones, the loudest ones you hear about, but they're the most minority ones out there population wise. True. Um, there tends to be a difference on how the, their Islamic faith is lived out according to where they live. Now right. you made that True. really clear in your recent book that the middle East tends to be more traditional and conservative and then versus the West, a little bit more cultural and maybe easier to talk to uh, them. And they might be more, more open-minded about Christianity. Um, how can you explain how this makes a difference when us Christians engage in a conversation with our Muslim neighbors? This class, th these three categories, Nick, you, you uh, wonderfully uh, listed are part of my book that I hope every Westerner recognize. Mm. Because if we put all our Muslim friends in one category, we are wrong, we are unjust, and this is not the reality. And by far, most Muslims you will meet in your daily life in America or in the West, are in the first group. They are cultural. They are nominal. Why are they here in America? It's better than their country. Trust hmm. me. Hmm. They Most of them like to have the latest iPhone and the best uh, coffee from Starbucks and <laughs> completely like this. Okay? Now, even I want to help my, my audience here to tell them that a devout Muslim is not necessarily radical. A devout Muslim is someone who wants to live as the religion teaches. Some of these devout Muslims are actually very progressive, as I mentioned earlier. Like I meet, because of my academic uh, uh, like uh, lectures and all this, I meet many Muslims who insist they are Muslims follow what they do, and they are proud of that. They say, well, you know what? I don't practice this, but I am a, I am Muslim. So all this is to tell my audience, 
expand your horizons. Mm -hmm. Muslims around you are going to be different. And you will most likely meet some people that know about Islam as you know about Mandarin or Chinese language, which is nothing, hopefully. Like I mean, for, <laughs> for many people don't know a lot. I tell my students that they know about Islam more than many cultural Muslims do about their own faith. Hmm. I encourage you, my audience here, speak with Muslims, get to know them as, as people who are loved by God, who are sought by Christ died for everyone. And we want to make sure that the gospel of hope is presented clearly to people who need it. So, yeah. So is there um, a little bit of, should our Christian approaches be slightly different, like opening, opening line conversations or questions um, based on the different types or how can we immediately recognize, I guess in the West, it's, a, you could, chances are they're probably nominal cultural, but is there a little bit more, pra is there a practical kind of guidance out of the gate when you start uh, communicating with them? I present many questions in my book, but let mm -hmm. me just tell you what I would do. First of all, don't think of Muslims as projects. Right. Befriend them, man. Think that you will know someone who is pretty different from you. Learn about their family. How many siblings do you have? Tell me, why did you come to America? Is Are you having a good experience in America? Uh, how can, do you need some help in any way? Because I love to help. By the way, I immediately, in the first setting or so, I try to present my identity as a Christ follower. Mm -hmm. So, and we can talk about this later, but the point is, uh, ask about them. Get to know them. Don't try from the first meeting to present all spiritual facts you have had, <laughs> you have learned throughout the last 20 years. It's not going to be this way. Yes, if you get a chance in the first meeting to present the gospel of hope to Muslims, that's amazing, great. But usually if it's neighbor, you can meet often, you can talk often, you can plan for later meetings. I encourage you, learn how to befriend Muslims. Do it. So I don't need to pretend that I want to meet my Muslim neighbor who is from Iraq. He lives nearby. I just call him and go eat something together. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I don't talk about religion with him. Sometimes I talk only about religion with him. And recently he just said, you know what? I'm, I'm not Muslim anymore. But he's unable yet to take a step toward Christ. I cannot make this step for him. I can encourage him. I can ask him questions and so forth. So the point is, ask questions. Befriend people. Uh, uh, and then once you are in the position of, okay, it's a cultural Muslim, and then this is a religious Muslim, you will have to manage the rest of the conversation differently as I explain in the book. But overall, just befriending someone is not going to be that much different, especially in the early stage. Hmm. Yeah. 
Hey all, this is Peter, one of the co-hosts of the Guilt, Grace, Gratitude podcast with a word from one of our sponsors, our title sponsor at Logos Bible Software. Have you gotten your free book of the month from Logos yet? Join tens of thousands of believers who build their library with a free new digital theological book each and every month. Then read it on the free Logos Bible study app. Logos is the easiest to use, most powerful Bible study tool on the planet. You heard that right, on the planet. It works on mobile, the web, and even has an amazing app for your laptop. I myself use the mobile app every night to read from the Hebrew, the Greek, and a few other resources. I love it. I've used other apps, and this is the best one on the market. It really, truly is. And if you want to go even deeper, you can choose from a vast selection of the top books for in-depth Bible study. There's also step-by-step videos to help you learn how to study the Bible like a pro. So get your free book of the month today. Go to logos.com slash guilt grace and get started with Logos today. We have this link in our show notes. So just open up our podcast, find our show notes, click this link, and you can get started with us with Logos Bible Software. Westminster Seminary, California's upcoming Seminary for a Day is Friday, March 10th, 2023. Westminster's rigorous master's degrees in biblical and theological studies, historical theology, and divinity all emphasize a mastery of the original biblical languages, being Hebrew and Greek, a small student-to-professor ratio of about 12 to 1, face-to-face education, and you're really going to get to know your classmates and professors, and you'll sit under seasoned pastor-scholars who know what ministry life is like. I really can't overemphasize how much of a blessing my Westminster education was. The ability to comfortably read and work in the original languages for sermon prep, draw from the depths of confessionally reformed theology, all with a laser focus on the gospel of Jesus Christ from Genesis to Revelation, have profoundly shaped my approach to ministry. I really do hope you'll consider coming to Westminster's upcoming Seminary for a Day on Friday, March 10th, 2023. You'll have the opportunity to sit in a few classes, grab lunch with some of the professors, participate in a Q&A with those professors, walk the campus grounds, check out the gorgeous and cheap apartments, in short, get a snapshot of seminary life. Westminster offers a $400 travel grant to ease the expense of visiting, so go to www.wscal.edu for more information, or go to our show notes, find the link, press it, and sign up for yourself. Again, Westminster Seminary California's next seminary for a day is Friday, March 10th, 2023. I hope you come experience seminary life for yourself like I did in March of 2019, And one day, join me in the ranks of our alumni. Um, And so touching on some touch points, because you talk about these in your book, and this, again, depends on who you're talking to, just like any conversation that you have with anybody. Um, But I think this is really important for this conversation um, with with connecting, especially with the Islamic faith, with with Muslims. And one of them you talk about is kind of the holiness and transcendence of God, uh, that he's he's holy and he's unapproachable. outside of Jesus for, for Christians. But I think it's something that really, it resonates with them in, in a sense. Uh, he also described doctrines in the Christian faith that we hold dear that are, that are shocking to Muslims. 
uh, and also provide comfort um, beyond anything that they really know within their own kind of religious faith and the Quran. So what what are some similarities that we can build on? Because you talk about this, um, but also some differences that we should really um, emphasize and say, hey, this is Christian faith is is um, is different than what you are used to. And this is this is why and this is why it's good and helpful and fills you with with love and fills you with the, the grace of Jesus. Of course, this is a very big question, but totally. I will I will focus on one element, the deity, God. Muslims find it very strange that Christians worship a father. Mm. Muslims believe that God is untouchable. It's very far. And that's why they feel it's somewhat blasphemy for God to come live among humans. Mm. What is that? So this is, in particular, a unique Christian faith, uh, aspect of our faith. And we don't need to shy away from that. Mm -hmm. But it takes time to speak with Muslims about this reality. So... A Muslim would never approach the deity saying, you're my father. But for us, this is a huge advantage hmm. and a huge, like, joy. Abba, Father, mentioned several times in the New Testament. So all this is to say that we need to recognize that this element in our Christian faith is unique. Now, do Muslims really want a father to be their deity? Hmm. This is so sweet. But there is a challenge to reach this point. However, none of the Muslim converts to Christ that I have met with, like all of them, finds this as the most compelling aspect of the hmm. Christian faith. God is near to me. That's why, for example, I need to tell my audience here is that Muslims don't pray to come closer to the deity. They pray because it's a duty. Mm -hmm. I don't pray because it's a duty. Christians don't pray as a duty. Muslims pray because this is one way to have the favor of the deity. Mm -hmm. Because he's not a father. Because it is a command, it is a work-based system. Does it make sense? So that's that's in general part of the differences uh, between Christianity and Islam, and there are of course many other differences. Absolutely, yeah. That's that's really helpful. And maybe one thing to to help the audience ground this, and maybe you can talk about this a little bit because I know you talk about the ninety-nine names that Allah has, and one of them is not loving. And you had a conversation with some people. So maybe if you can talk about like what. What, like what are those names and um what is it what is it uh what is it yeah. neglect well the allah in islam is defined by 99 names of course this is a later tradition mm -hmm. it's not in the quran in the okay. scripture of islam but later muslims developed these 99 names to describe the the uh, islam's deity now among these 99 names, there is compassionate, merciful, hmm. um, holy, 
all these are similar to what Christians say about God. But for Islam, there is also some unique hmm. uh, uh, terms that are not shared by other religions, like the proud, prideful one. Hmm. Christians would what? Uh, like the harmful one. What is that? Even some Muslims today, and that's important for Nick and Peter, for you guys to learn to, to, to hear about, some Muslims today are trying to delete, to censor, to use the terms mm. of our day, <laughs> to censor some of these names because mm. they are not really compelling, they are not appealing to how can you say that Allah is, is harmful? Mm. How can you say that Allah is oppressor? We can say that. these are included in the 99 names. Mm. Now, sometimes when I speak with Muslims, I say, why they are 99? Well, I don't know, maybe. But some Muslims would say that because there is one hidden name to complete them into 100, but we don't know about. The list does not explicitly include the loving. Mm. Well, Someone would say, well, it has the nice one, like Wadud, <laughs> it's called Wadud. But I say, if I say this to my wife, she would just punch me because <laughs> I'm not a loving person. The point is, the point is Christianity is clearly uh, 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 centered around the love of God. Mm -hmm. Islam is more into the justice, the... the uh, reward and uh, uh, punishment hmm. that's how the whole faith is centered for the most part that's why there are some uh, aspects about allah's names that we could bring in a conversation hmm. with muslims yeah that's so all. it sounds like you're saying <clears throat> Uh, there's not a personal relationship with Allah like we have a personal relationship with Abba, Father, Yahweh, God. They have a far off distant. They're like, hey, there's no way that Allah would have a personal relationship with me. I mean, he gave and said so that kind of sounds like the distinguishing thing. Yeah. There. Okay. And for example, Nick, it is blasphemous that Allah would come down to save a sinner like me in in the muslim mindset this is like christians usually say that god initiates mm -hmm. the salvation of a human god allah is so far he he, he he's not he's compassionate because he's compassionate but he's not compassionate for me mm. personally his compassion his attributes are so far from humans christians believe and i write about this in detail in the mm -hmm. book christians see god's attributes as emmanuel he is among us living and showing these attributes very important to recognize this difference. Yeah. And the closest thing that I think I've learned and correct me if I'm wrong, it is that he, that Allah shows who he is uh, through his word, which is the Quran. Right. And that's like the, 
if there is the closest thing to what represents our Christ, it's it's their Quran because it's that, they treat the Quran so sacredly. You can't put Correct. it on the ground and all that stuff. Correct. So, so they see we 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 know John one one the word became flesh and that's Christ, and and they see Allah's word is the Quran. We don't. Correct. Yeah. So just. I threw that out so, there. I don't know if you ever good. No, no, no. Quickly, very quickly. When Christians equate or compare hmm. Muhammad to Jesus, they are mistaken. Hmm. Right. In Islam, in Islam, Jesus of Christianity, like Jesus for Christians is like the Quran for Muslims. Hmm. So if you insult Jesus among Christians, it's the same if you insult the Quran among Muslims. Right. The Quran is the word of Allah, the speech of Allah, and that's how Christians should view this. Hmm. Cool. Okay. Okay, I got a really meaty three-part theological <laughs> question. So this is good. We'll walk through it together. So, Dr. Ibrahim, if you kind of forget part of the question, ask me. So I always forget. So <laughs> keep going. Good. So uh, it's a three-parter. So audience, uh, you know, slow down, take notes, whatever. Um, let's see, where am I? So the beginning of your book lays out some objections and misconceptions, misunderstandings that Muslims have against Christianity. So I really, this is probably my favorite question here. So there's big three that I took away is the Trinity. They think that us Christians are polytheists who worship God, Jesus, and Mary as three different gods. And then two, they uh, think that the Bible is corrupt. And then number three, they uh, think that Jesus never claimed equality with God. He never said, uh, am, uh, I am God, you know, worship me. So those are the three big ones. I want to just... How do you respond? Good. I will be very brief because I'm hoping that someone would read in detail what I wrote about this. Yep. But you you correctly described three major obstacles for Muslims. The Trinity. Christians need to know that the Trinity is not a philosophy. Mm -hmm. It is a revelation from God about himself. And we don't need to shy away from that, period. Two, the Trinity is so complex to Christians and to non-Christians to grasp. That's why it's a revelation. Three, Muslims are really finding difficult time with the Trinity, understandably. Now, in the book, I try to say some sequence on how you can mm -hmm. explain the triune God to Muslims. But number one, I want my Christian audience to learn, ask questions about what this Muslim believes regarding the Trinity, because maybe they don't really need the entire explanation in one sitting. So you ask a Muslim, what do you believe about the Trinity? Don't you guys say that? God married Mary and they had Jesus as son? Of course not. Matter is over. Move on. But when you come to explaining the Trinity to a Muslim, it, 
who actually knows what he's talking about regarding Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, then there is a lot of ways that you can explore to explain the Trinity. I don't want to go in detail mm -hmm. about this, but your Muslim friend would likely ac accept that God has a spirit and God has a word. Mm. And never from eternity past, God was spiritless and wordless. That's what we say. Mm. It's not completely square like one plus one is no it, it's it's more how you are helping your muslim friend learn that there is a plurality within the unity of god now i take this one step further in my book that tell my reader hey you can actually ask your muslim friend some questions that would perplex them because if if the deity is a complete monotheist without any plurality in the deity, this is actually a troubling thing mm. because how would be he loving before he created anyone else? Loving to whom? So is God changing? Is the mm. deity changing? And so forth. So I'm, I'm encouraging you to go in depth in reading and I hope it will be helpful to you. Yeah. And then now... Um Oh, yeah. Nick, you have a comment before I tell about briefly about the Bible? No, I was actually going to just remind you what the next one was <laughs> with the Bible. Yeah. So the Bible, most Muslims, most Muslims, very few actually, would believe the Bible is not corrupt. So most Muslims come with this disposition. You Christians have lost the correct Bible. This doesn't make sense. Even the Quran, Muslim scriptures, completely affirms the authenticity of the Bible. Mm -hmm. So I lay down ways to describe that the Bible cannot be corrupt and use scriptural reasoning and using also logical questions. Mm -hmm. So the Bible cannot be corrupt. And if Muslims insist that the Bible is corrupt, they are claiming that Allah is lying mm. in the Quran. That's uh, yeah, maybe before your last thing, because you talk about in your book, and again, people can read it. Um, the Quran talks about Moses, the prophets, mm -hmm. the gospels, and calls them the word of God. And like you said, if, if, they're, if, yeah, if they go against it, Absolutely. then they're going against the Quran. So the question now is, so is the Quran... Like, is the Bible corrupt before Muhammad? Mm. If yes, then the Quran lies. If it it's corrupt after Muhammad, then God or Islam's deity couldn't actually protect the, the Bible after Muhammad's death, even though the Bible was canonized, circulated, and quoted centuries before muhammad so what are we talking about hmm. so it's it's clear that this is a shaky claim and then the third one although they claim to love jesus as a prophet they don't they say that he doesn't ever claim to be god how do you respond to that well 
first of all, you have a lot of arguments to make regarding the deity of Christ because it is completely found in the New Testament openly. Mm -hmm. Like you have several verses that clearly show Jesus as God, but some of our Muslim friends don't want to read that. So they come to me and say, listen, can you prove to me from your Bible that Jesus said, I am God? I said, so you believe in the Bible now? Can I <laughs> use the So it, it's, it's always fun, you know, because it's more like enthusiastic religious zeal hmm. than thoughtful thinking about what the text actually says. That's why many educated Muslims are done with claiming that Christians worship three gods and the Bible is corrupt because they know that this is not really an argument, okay? Now, if, if God in the Bible says, so if a Muslim friend wants to pursue the Bible in this, I say, and I always try to have them read the Bible. So they, I bring, Jesus said, Jesus forgives sins. Before I say this, I tell Muslims, who forgives them? Hmm. Only God. No, 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 no. Human can. No, no, no. It's only God who forgives. So I show them that Jesus forgives. Jesus equates himself with the Alpha and the Omega. And so forth. There are many verses. Mm -hmm. So, and when Muslims insist, no, 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 no. Show me exactly the words of uh, um, Jesus said, I'm God, worship me. I say, before I show you something around this, let me ask you, my Muslim friend, one question. Do you believe in the Tawheed? Tawheed is the most important concept in, in the entirety of Islam. Tawheed is the belief in one deity. Tawheed is the most important thing for Muslims. It's the central teaching. Of course, a Muslim would say, of course I believe in the Tawheed, the oneness of God. I said, so you believe this because you found this in the Quran? Of course. I say, show me where the Quran uses Tawheed. The Quran doesn't use Tawheed. Never. This word never existed in the Quran. But Muslims articulated the teaching based on several verses from the Quran. Are you following me here? Sounds, so sounds I'm a little trying, we do, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to convince my Muslim friend to stay away from the literal explicit description of something. And it's usually helpful. Hmm. Yeah, that's that's yeah, that's really, really helpful. And you you uh, approach this topic. So this is my last question before before Nick's last question. And you've talked about this a little bit, but the importance uh, on reading the Bible with a Muslim, reading it out loud with a Muslim, or having the Muslim read the Bible him or herself, instead of like just trying to talk about the Quran and break down the Quran and why it's uh, improper and corrupt and uh, Muhammad was a liar, or like what whatever it is that we talk about um, the Islamic faith. But you say stress and the importance of reading the Bible yourself and him or herself over the Muslim is what? Why is this? Maybe this sounds like a, an obvious question, but I think it's it's really relevant for this conversation. Why is this so important for our evangelistic conversations? Because it's the Holy Spirit words. And for me, I can have degrees 
in apologetics and convince no one. Mm -hmm. But once the Holy Spirit works through the word of God, it's not my job anymore. And honestly, growing up in Egypt, I used to memorize, I, I all, it was a great thing for us to memorize passages of the Bible. So I can, I can by heart, quote many verses, especially in Arabic and my mother tongue. Hmm. But having the Bible opened, and I tell stories about this, having the Bible opened and read by a Muslim, you're allowing a venue for the Holy Spirit to hmm. move. I will leave it at that. Hmm. I like it. Yeah, I'd say uh, Romans, <clears throat> Romans 10, how can they hear without somebody speaking or with the word of God being open to them. We think so much about breaking down the Quran and stuff, which is and maybe I guess has its proper place in time, but we uh we forget that the Holy Spirit is the one that convicts hearts and not our not our own arguments. Before my next question, I have an added question because we're having a lot of fun and we're actually pretty good on time. And I think this added question kind of leads into my last question, if you don't mind, Dr. Ibrahim. Um, sure. So something that I learned in your book, among many, many things, it's just so edifying for me. Um, obviously, as someone that didn't grow up around a lot of Muslims, I'm not, was never Muslim, but um, definitely just perspective wise, it's, it, you talked about how Muslims can actually understand the cultural context Jesus was living in actually a lot better than modern uh, day Western Christians However, yeah. obviously Muslims don't understand our theology. Yeah. Um, so we're not saying that they understand Christianity better than us. We're understanding that they Muslims understand the Middle Eastern context, uh, Palestinian, Middle Eastern, uh, yeah. what was going on, what Jesus was. So you actually share that Jesus, when you share Jesus with them, make sure you underline the parables miracles the birth and the supernatural power of jesus True. really helps any True. feedback on that i always say that the bible is culturally relevant to muslims mm. theologically mm. it's very foreign mm. right but think about this many of the stories that we read in the new testament because the new testament emerged in the middle east mm -hmm. yeah so many of the stories, if you think about it a little bit, it doesn't make sense to Western culture. So when the disciples came back to Jesus and saw him sitting with a Samaritan woman, what was their first reaction? What is that? He's talking with a woman. So what's your problem, buddy? <laughs> In a Western setting, it doesn't make sense. Yeah. The question, of course, we understand the, the situation. But immediately it rings a bell with a, 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 an Eastern uh, mindset. Have you ever thought about the parable of Jesus? Someone came to me and he went to the neighbor and knocking on the door mm -hmm. at midnight asking for three loaves of bread. What is that? It can never happen. Well, that's normal in the Middle East. <laughs> of course, it's uh, awkward sometimes, but but that's that's yeah. the expected. Even if you read the parable correctly, the guy didn't have food at home. So he's borrowing food for the other guy, for the, the neighbor, 
for the visitor. All this is to say, these stories make a lot of sense to the Muslim mindset. And please use them as they connect well. And then you add the, the, the theological element that could take time, but it's, it's always important to realize the uniqueness of the Bible as a text emerging in the Middle East, you know. Oh, that's so good. So this tees up uh, this question I had for you. Um, you share some really incredible stories in your recent book, Reaching Your Muslim Neighbor with the Gospel. <clears throat> so if you don't mind, could you please share maybe one of these uh, to help help provide some guidelines to our listeners? Uh, obviously, some practical guidelines to just share one of those good stories that you, you that you had in the book. So while living uh, in a different location in America, I got a phone call uh, telling me that uh, a new, a new uh, immigrant came from the Middle East. And this guy was a blind man who memorized the Quran by heart. And he, um, he came to America as a refugee. So I went to meet with him and then learned immediately that he was an imam, a leader of the mosque. Hmm. And then um, once we met, he's blind, remember, but he's, he memorized the Quran. So I took him to supermarket to do grocery shopping. And then before I left him, after we helped him with everything, I asked him a question. I told him, so since you're an educated Muslim, what do you think of the Quran um, chapter 9, verse 29? And this is a verse that basically tells the Muslim audience to uh, uh, fight Christians and Jews until they subjugate Christians and Jews, forcing them to pay taxes based on their religious adherence. So I'm like, I'm just beginning a conversation. And he said, what? How did you know that? <laughs> I said, I read a lot about religion and it's always fun to. Because I didn't want to put him in an awkward situation. I left him, greeted him and said, hey, don't worry about it. We'll talk next week. Next week came and I went to meet with him. I didn't intend to talk about religion at all. So he held my hand and he said, listen, I have an answer for you. I said, go ahead. He said, this verse doesn't apply anymore. Hmm. Like, who said that? He <laughs> said, trust me, I'm telling you that. I said, but what about every other Muslim who believe that the verse applies? This is going to create a very tough situation for Christians and Jews. He said, hmm, I see that. I said, do you know my problem? He said, what? I said, I am commanded in my scripture to love my enemies hmm. and to bless those who persecute me. You see that? And he said, yeah. I said, would you mind if I read hmm. this passage for you? Of course, he said, oh, no, 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 please go ahead. So I read the Sermon on the Mount. I took advantage of the situation. I read three chapters, buddy, <laughs> three chapters. And he was listening, great. And every time I come to a point where they say, and Jesus said, 
I emphasized it. And then I left him 10 days later or so. I went back. I wasn't sure how did he feel about this whole religious conversation. But then he met me with a very serious face and a recorder. Hmm. What is going on? And he said, can I ask you a favor? I said, sure. He said, would you please read again the words of Jesus that you read a week ago or so? I want to record them because Jesus' words penetrate my heart. This was an eye-opening encounter, guys. It tells us how amazing God is, not us. It's his word. And how it is precious to read this word with Muslims. I continue the story about this guy mm -hmm. in the book, but overall, this is one of the major encounters I had in my life with my Muslim friends. You know? hmm. Yeah, that's that's a, yeah. It's reading some of these. It's not just theoretical for you. This has been on the ground. You've been doing this. You lead evangelism trips. You've lived in the Middle East, born and raised in the Middle East. This is this has been part of your life, and I'm sure it's it's going to continue being part of your life, sharing the gospel with your Muslim neighbors. And I hope we can do the same, and our listeners can do the same. After reading this book, your other books that you've written. Um, and maybe before we before we end this is it, where can where can they find some of your work? Because I know you've written a few other books besides this one. This one is the the most recent one, and I think you have a, a few others coming out soon too. So if you want to just talk about some of the stuff that you have working on, I I write most of my books under two categories. One, I continue to write academic books. Mm -hmm. Don't worry that much about this. <laughs> and I write books that are in my opinion, helpful to my community here uh -huh. at Southern Seminary and beyond to understand Muslims and their faith, Islam. So this book that we're talking about, Reaching Your Muslim Neighbor with the Gospel, is very helpful because it's easy read. Mm -hmm. And there's a, there are another a couple of books that concise guide to the Quran and mm -hmm. concise guide to Muhammad's life. These are also helpful and more informative to those interested readers. You can find my books on Amazon or go to my website at Southern Seminary and you will find a list of these books. Anytime you read a book and you like it, it will help me mm -hmm. if you put a review on Amazon so that people will hear mm -hmm. about my books. I would and be grateful for that. If I may, you were on our show twice before with those two books, those concise guide books that you mentioned. So. Guys that you're listening, um, go back into our archive and listen mm -hmm. to those conversations as well. Listen that to all will... three. Yep. Yep. Yeah, totally. Well, Dr. Ibrahim, thank you so much for coming on, writing this book, for engaging uh, with Muslims and, and teaching others how to engage with Muslims about their Islamic faith and um, lifting up the gospel, which came through so clearly throughout the book, all throughout the book, that yeah. we're to magnify the gospel of Jesus and what he's done for us. Um, and that should be paramount in our conversations of who we are. So thank you so much for magnifying that and for your work, helping us gentlemen, engage. Yeah, gentlemen, thank you so much for having me. God bless you, you both. You of too. course.
Hey guys, thanks so much for listening to the episode of our podcast, Guilt, Grace, Gratitude. And if you go to our show notes, as a reminder, there is a link to Patreon and you can find out how to become a bridge builder. Yeah, we've got five different support levels and the levels go from uh, just a, a $5 donation to help keep the lights on and, and get some equipment all the way up to you guys get to be part of our decision-making process for episodes, for content, for authors, for guests, whoever it may be. And you guys get consistent conversations, maybe even since our episodes, the second that we record them, instead of having to wait for episodes to come out. So look at that, see what you wanna do. As part of that, we have a goal to get about $1,000 a month. That's to cover some costs, get some new equipment, and just hire some people as well. And also, if you guys can rate and review us on iTunes, on Spotify, on any one of your podcasting platforms, this is the number one way besides word of mouth that word gets out about what we're doing. So we hope to see you guys next week.